President Trump just moments ago saying he took his own advice on meeting with the Taliban at Camp David. The lead starts right now. On the week of the 9-11 commemoration, President Trump shocking much of the world with a plan to invite Taliban leaders for a get-together at Camp David. Today we're learning not even the president's most loyal advisor thought that a good idea. And facing new questions today about profiting off the presidency, President Trump literally saying a la Sergeant Schultz, I know nothing. Following news that the Air Force now makes increasingly frequent layovers near Trump's resort in Scotland. Plus, Hurricane Dorian survivors with children in their arms kicked off a ferry headed for the United States. The confusion prolonging their suffering and who it is that messed up. That's coming up. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper. We begin with the politics lead. President Trump this afternoon saying that talks with the Taliban are dead as he attempts to defend his now canceled plan to host the Taliban leaders at Camp David days before the anniversary of the 9-11 attacks, attacks for which the Taliban has, even in recent weeks, expressed support. CNN is learning that Vice President Pence and National Security Advisor John Bolton advised President Trump that would be a bad idea, but the president calls that report fake news. And the vice president weighing in with a slyly written tweet, quote, that's absolutely right, Mr. President, more fake news, the vice president tweeted. The dishonest media never contacted our office before running with this story, he continued, which is not accurate in CNN's case. The vice president's spokesman is quoted right in the CNN.com story. Quote, and if they had, Mr. Pence continued, we would have told them, I fully support your decision. I fully support your decision, present tense. That, of course, is a non-answer and does not directly address the idea that before the decision was made, the vice president advised against it. As CNN's Boris Sanchez now reports for us, despite the contrary advice, President Trump was already attached to his brainstorm, the Taliban at Camp David. What could go wrong? Just two days after canceling a planned summit at Camp David with leaders from the Taliban that he himself suggested, President Donald Trump telling reporters today that peace talks are... Dead as far as I'm concerned. And we've hit the Taliban harder in the last four days than they've been hitting over 10 years. Trump, frustrated with the pace of negotiations, had called for a face-to-face negotiation with the Taliban at Camp David during a meeting over Labor Day weekend, despite objections from top advisors. Sources say Trump liked the optics of being seen personally as securing a historic deal in a presidential setting, where decades ago negotiations between the U.S., Egypt, and Israel led to the Camp David Accords. Officials say Vice President Mike Pence and National Security Advisor John Bolton argued against meeting at Camp David, but Trump overruled them. Today, Trump pushed back on that story, though he admitted he thought hosting the Taliban at Camp David just days before the 18th anniversary of the 9-11 attacks was a good idea. Actually, in terms of advisors, I took my own advice. I like the idea of meeting. I've met with a lot of bad people and a lot of good people it was my idea and it was my idea to terminate it. I didn't even, I didn't discuss it with anybody else. The meeting set for this weekend was scrapped because the Taliban claimed responsibility for an attack that killed one service member and 11 others. Trump now says he believes the Taliban regrets that attack. Some lawmakers voicing opposition to the meeting, including the third highest ranking Republican in the House, Liz Cheney, tweeting, No member of the Taliban should ever set foot in Camp David, ever. 
and GOP Congressman Michael Waltz, an Army veteran who served in Afghanistan. As we head into the, into the anniversary of 9-11, I do not ever want to see these terrorists step foot on, in, on United States soil, period. Now, Jake, President Trump moments ago on the South Lawn told reporters that the Taliban has made clear that they regret this attack. In fact, over the weekend, the Taliban put out a statement saying that canceling peace talks would only lead to more American losses in Afghanistan, Jake. All right, Boris Sanchez at the White House. Thanks so much. Joining me now to talk about this, Democratic Congressman Max Rose of New York. He's an Army veteran who served in Afghanistan. He now sits on the Homeland Security and Veterans Affairs Committees. Congressman, thanks so much uh, for joining us. First of all, um, I guess my first question is, forget being a member of Congress. As As a veteran who fought in Afghanistan, what was your reaction to the story? Well, I think it was an utterly ridiculous idea, not only as a veteran, but also as someone who represents a district that was hit incredibly hard by 9-11. For this president to invite the Taliban to meet at Camp David in just a few days will be uh, the anniversary of 9-11. With that being said, though, we cannot use this one horrible idea as a justification or a pretense to advocate for another horrible idea, which is to stay in Afghanistan for another generation. To put it into perspective, come this October, Young men and women will be enlisting in the United States military who were not born when we declared war against Afghanistan. Uh, This has got to change. We have to turn a chapter on this uh, period in American history and pull out of Afghanistan. So I want to get to that in one second, uh, because certainly this is America's longest war. And Mm -hmm. I think the American people and a lot of veterans, uh, as you know better than I, are are weary of it. Um, But I do want to ask, because your congressional district in New York, which includes a lot of Staten Island, uh, that's a district that President Trump won. And as you note, it's a district that was hit hard by 9-11, on yep. 9-11, with a lot of firefighters and, and members of the police force and, and just people who were in the towers killed. Sure. Um, what are you hearing from constituents? Look, I, I think people are happy that this is not happening, period. That's it. They don't want to think about it anymore. They don't want to entertain the idea of the Taliban meeting at Camp David. But here's the other thing about uh, people that live on Staten Island and generally folks throughout the country Uh, these these are deeply patriotic people. And that does not mean that we engage in perpetual warfare. To be patriotic, to say that you support the troops, doesn't mean that we want to send young men and women unnecessarily into harm's way. Look at the conflicts that we face today. Look at global extremism. We can't fight global extremism, whether it's ISIS or al-Qaeda, by holding on to significant pieces of land in Central Asia. There's 15, 20 different countries that al-Qaeda or ISIS could move into, and we have to remain flexible and versatile in order to attack that threat in the 21st century. Well, let me ask you about that, because I had Secretary of State uh, Pompeo on State of the Union yesterday, uh, and I asked about why invite the Taliban Mm -hmm. to Camp David of all places. Listen to what he had to say. We've been having conversations. The president believed that we could further that, that we could further America's national interest by having conversations with the people that have the capacity to actually deliver, Jake. We have an obligation to do everything we can. So you want to end the war. Absolutely. Secretary Pompeo wants to end the war. President Trump wants to end the war. His argument is we have to do, you just heard him say it, we have to do everything we can to end the war. So if having the Taliban at Camp David would bring that result about, why not? Well, you don't have to punch the American people in the nose in order to end our longest war. This was representative of more than a year's worth of hard diplomacy, okay? And we were right there, right at the end. And then the president, 
engineered this into a vanity project. He wanted to be the one to take credit. And that is totally and absolutely wrong. This is an opportunity, though, for bipartisan action. I completely agree with you on that. Uh, and we actually have to take advantage of that. And this president, for once, could actually be a leader. You know, in 2016, he ran on ending our forever wars. In 2018, I called for the same thing. And you're right. You brought up that Staten Island voted for President Trump. They also voted for me. Right. The people have spoken. They want change and they want action. And they do not want us to continue these forever wars that are centered around regime change. One quick subject change, because The New York Times just broke a story uh, saying that uh, Commerce Secretary uh, Wilbur Ross and the Commerce Secretary, Commerce Department controls the National o uh, Oceanic and Atmospheric Association, um, administration rather, NOAA, that Wilbur Ross threatened to fire top officials at NOAA after that tweet from the National Weather Service contradicting the president's claims that Hurricane Dorian might hit Alabama. The National Weather Service, uh, NOAA then put out a statement, an un unsigned statement, basically backing the president's version of events over their scientists. What do you make of all that? I thought, I thought it was an Onion article when I first saw this. Look, this looks like it's a joke, and the unfortunate truth is that it's, an ag it's, a, it's the reality. Congress should certainly look into this, but ultimately the president has got to lead. The president has got to realize that this is actually an incredible responsibility that he has, and his secretaries can no longer just be concerned about the president's ego. They also have to assume responsibility. I'm deeply disappointed by this. Obviously, it's breaking news, but it's yet another illustration of the fact that uh, we right now don't have the leadership that we need. Congressman Max Rose, uh, Democrat from New York, from the great, uh, most of your district, the great, uh, the great uh, borough of Staten Island. Thanks Absolutely. so much for being here. I appreciate the greatest. it. Coming up, so did the Trump administration cross a line? with that agency that tries to keep Americans safe by accurately forecasting storms. And then, with their lives destroyed by Hurricane Dorian, these Bohemians are now struggling to leave the islands to get help because of a supposed mix-up. Stay with us. Here's some breaking news for you now. The New York Times is reporting that Secretary of Commerce Wilbur Ross threatened to fire top employees at NOAA after members of the agency contradicted President Trump's claim that Hurricane Dorian might hit Alabama. This was a claim he made two Sundays ago uh, that was not in alignment with any of the forecasting at the time. Uh, let's just talk about this. Uh, you're from Florida, so you... From West Palm Beach. West Palm Beach, so you know how important uh, these weather announcements are and the warnings are. Yeah, how important they are. I also covered the hurricanes of the mid-2000s when we literally ran out of names for hurricanes, when... Mar-a-Lago was among those places in South Florida that had to deal with Charlie, Francis, Ivan, Jean, Dennis, Katrina, Rita, Wilma, and then Alpha, Beta, Gamma, Delta, when we ran out of names. A property like Mar-a-Lago is so much at risk for a hurricane. And anyone in the town of Palm Beach knows that there are all these historic properties, Mar-a-Lago, the Breakers, Whitehall, which was Henry Flagler's residence, the Royal Point Siena Playhouse, the Paramount Church, which used to be a theater, the shops on Worth Avenue. So everyone watches those forecasts very closely. A facility like Mar-a-Lago has to bring in beach chairs and beach umbrellas and golf carts and send guests home yeah. and help them figure out whether they need to book new hotels and send non-essential staff home and plug in the generators and figure out when the bridge is locked down so that people can evacuate their boats and yachts and get them into All a marina or dry All based on the dock. NOAA forecast. So it is completely unfactual. It flies in the face of everything that every Floridian knows 
to say that the president thinks he can just draw around a hurricane now. It makes no sense to any Floridian ever. Well, and I'm sure it didn't make a lot of sense to people in Alabama who saw that. Because remember, this president has said, I'm the only one who will tell you the truth. Everything else is fake news. So he tweets out Alabama. Then he draws it. So you're sitting in Alabama wondering, so is it coming? Is it not coming? And it also just shows the lengths to which this president is willing to abuse his power to save his thin ego to make himself correct. So let's just go back to that day. So the president falsely tweeted that Dorian uh, would would hit Alabama and other states all harder than expected. That prompted the Birmingham office of the National Weather Service to respond uh, in a tweet, quote, Alabama will not see any impacts from Dorian, uh, according to our reporting, that you know they were flooded with calls from right. Alabamians who were uh, or Alabamans uh, who were worried uh, about what was going on. Um, uh, David, uh, you you uh, are <laughs> an advisor. To the Trump, yeah. You're an advisor to the Trump campaign. You would rather be talking about the sure. state of the economy yeah, than on day eight of let's, this let's, Alabama story. It was a very big cone of uncertainty. That's all I'll say. Yeah. <laughs> you look at the big the big cone of uncertainty. Look. Uh, obviously, I like to talk about all the accomplishments this administration's had to date. There's a long laundry list. I can pull them out of my notes and, and you've go done through. it many times. And so I go through about- again historic all-time right. unemployment levels, I'll l- give you two. low, low of African Americans. Okay. Right? That's two. I mean, in Pennsylvania. Let's, so let's so, so let's things, go. In, but right? let's talk about this. President yeah. Trump is the reason we're on day eight. Yeah, listen, I, listen I, again. I, I think that it's it, it's unfortunate. We we should be talking about the very positive things this administration is doing. Right. And, and, and helping. Listen, there's it's a controversial inviting the Taliban to come to the United States. But I think it's very positive that we're looking to draw down forces there and get men and women out of harm's way. We're you not think gonna, Secretary gonna, Ross made a mistake threatening to fire uh, NOAA officials. I, I, I'm not so sure exactly. I, I, you know, I've no I've met Secretary Ross on numerous occasions. Mm-hmm. His temperament doesn't seem like he's a kind of a phone thrower screaming at the top of his lungs. Give me those guys heads on pikes at NOAA. So I'm not quite sure how that goes. But uh if, in fact, that was the case, yeah, I, I think it's wrong. And, Melanie, uh, Noah ended up putting out a statement uh, late Friday, unsigned, not attributed to anybody, backing Trump, saying, quote, the Birmingham National Weather Service's Sunday morning tweet spoke in absolute terms that were inconsistent with probabilities from the best forecast products available at the time. A top NOAA, a former NOAA official tweeted, perhaps the darkest day ever for NOAA leadership. Don't know how they will ever look their workforce in the eye again. Moral cowardice. Right. This is really a matter of science. It is. And now the weather has even become politicized in the era of Trump. But I would point out with this, you know, this is just another example of the president saying something or tweeting something that appears to be inaccurate. And then his aides and officials having to sort of scramble on the back end to make sure it's true and putting government resources to backing up his claims, which we know were not accurate at the time. Uh, But look, you know, I know you were saying that Trump would rather be talking and the base would probably be rather talking about other things, but I think he relishes in these fights with the media. He gets a kick out of it. But I think this is going to be a fundamental problem, sorry, David, for the rest of this election cycle, because you're not going to get traction on talking about all the things you want to talk about, because I will bet you that tonight, instead of talking about all those things, Trump is going to go off on something. He's having a rally this evening. in, In North Carolina, I will bet you, I put $100 on the table that we will hear a lot more about the fake news and the fake media and why he was right about Alabama and some other, you know, story that is really not true. All right, everyone stick around. Unemployment, historic low. (laughs) (laughs) You cannot be stopped. Uh, Congress is back. And House Democrats have a new list of investigations, including one of Trump's golf clubs and Air Force members. What President Trump just said about this latest controversy next. 
In our politics lead today, President Trump today promised we will be completely shocked by financial numbers on his international properties. He claims he's going to release these numbers before the next election. The president insisting he does not need members of the U.S. military military to stay at his resorts in order to help his businesses. This is a response to investigations into a report first broken by Politico that U.S. Air Force crew members are increasingly staying at his Scotland hotel, which news reports say has struggled in recent years. The Air Force itself just launched the latest review of this potential conflict of interest. As CNN's Sunland Sirfati reports, House Democrats are also looking into it. Back on Capitol Hill after a six-week recess, House Democrats are intensifying pressure on President Trump, expanding their investigations and opening up a series of new ones, all looking into potential abuses of power by the Trump administration. The House Judiciary Committee is now probing controversial international stays during refueling stops by U.S. Air Force personnel at President Trump's Turnberry Resort in Scotland, prompting the Air Force to order an official review. The president has indeed converted the government of the United States into an instrument of self-enrichment. Trump today shooting back, saying nothing to do with me, while praising the good taste of the Air Force crews staying at his resort. This comes as the House Judiciary and Oversight Committees are also investigating Vice President Mike Pence's own stay at the president's resort in Ireland. The two powerful committees now including a series of new probes looking into hush money payments over Trump's alleged affairs, the president's alleged dangling of pardons to officials who are at risk of breaking immigration laws, and these questions about the president enriching himself, potentially violating the Emoluments Clause of the Constitution. This Thursday, a key moment. The House Judiciary Committee will vote on a resolution to formalize procedures for an impeachment inquiry. What you will see and what the American public is going to see is just an intense and it's going to intensify. All of this as House Democrats still grapple with the potential of formally recommending articles of impeachment. But with Speaker Pelosi still in opposition and a limited fall congressional schedule, if they will, is still very much an open question. And Thursday's vote in the House Judiciary Committee essentially lays out the groundwork, the parameters of their investigation going forward by formalizing it as an official impeachment inquiry, a very small but very important procedural detail as the committee, Jake, potentially marches on to potentially formal articles of impeachment. All right, Sunless Safadi, thanks so much. Uh, Melanie, uh, there have been Democrats worried about this impeachment gambit, saying that uh, it will, including Speaker Pelosi, mm-hmm. who say that it will, you know, they're worried that it will distract, it will give the president leverage in terms of saying they're out to get me. Uh, it will convince the American people that the Democrats aren't there to do things for them. What do you make of it all? Well, I think what you're seeing from the pro-impeachment Democrats is they are really starting to shift their messaging towards the corruption aspect of this versus the Mueller report, which didn't really land with the public. <laughs> it didn't sway public opinion. The report was long and complex. They think they have a better story here to tell the American people by focusing on things like spending at military properties, hush money payments to porn stars to cover up alleged fares, those sorts of things. So they do think that perhaps they can sway public opinion. But time is running out. As you mentioned, Pelosi's position has not changed. In fact, we're told that over the recess, she reminded her Democrats during a private conference call that public is not there yet. And Joshua, President Trump tweeted in part today he knew nothing of an Air Force crew, quote, staying overnight at Turnberry, his Scotland 
Hotel. He also tweeted, quote, I had nothing to do with the decision of our great vice president, Mike Pence, to stay overnight at one of the Trump-owned resorts in Doonbeg, Ireland. That second controversy, of course, the, the individual who said that the president suggested it to the vice president was the vice president's chief of staff. Yeah, I mean, my, I, I think in addition to the issue of whether or not the president is being enriched by people staying at his hotels during his administration, I'm kind of interested in how the Democrats are going to deal with all this. I mean, this, we get it. Like, this is enrich, enriching the president. Let's just stop playing this game. This is enriching the president. There, you know, at least with the Air Force thing, there was the argument that his hotel was the least expensive option. So what would you rather do, spend less money at a Trump hotel or more money at a non-Trump hotel? I think that's a legit question. The larger question, I think, is whether Democrats are actually going to see this through to the election. Like, if the Democrats didn't pounce on this right after the midterms, I think they're out of time. Like, you've still got Democratic voters who don't know who their frontrunner is other than Joe Biden. And I'm still not convinced that Joe Biden is the frontrunner, frontrunner. He's mm. kind of like, if all of the Democratic candidates are the Avengers, Joe Biden is Robert Downey Jr. Like, he's the guy who's the most bankable right now. <laughs> but if the Democrats think that they've got the bandwidth to deal with all, the, all these impeachment investigations and to help Democratic voters figure out which one of the field is the one who's going to beat Donald Trump, I'm not convinced that they and the base have enough bandwidth for that. I'm quite sure they do. Oh. And here's how they're going to do it. I know you don't believe me, David. Two things, right? On the one hand, remember that the vast majority of the base, I'm going to go 99%, they already know they don't want Donald Trump, right? So part, so there's no bandwidth needed on that piece. It's really about, and this is the process playing itself out. We'll have another debate this week. We've got one every month this fall. So people will continue to figure that out. But I think on this point of corruption, this is a really important point because it's not just corruption. Most voters think Washington is corrupt, whatever. However, when it's corruption at your expense, it is your taxpayer dollars. And it's your taxpayer dollars that I'm diverting from a school that was going to be built at the military base in your, in your town. That's for the wall. For the wall, right? Yeah. It is your taxpayer dollars that I'm using to enrich myself through my hotel. It's, it's when you further that argument to the point that it is corruption that is taking away from things getting done for you. And then the second piece of that argument that I think you're going to see is all the promises made, promises unkept. Remember, the president said, you can trust me. It's OK. There'll be no conflict of interest. It'll be fine. I'll, I'll police myself. We know that's not true and that's not happening. Just in the same way, steel isn't coming back. Coal isn't coming back. Jobs have not been created in a lot of the places he said they were going to so be. So it is true that we've never seen anything like this where a president is holds on to his properties. I mean, Jimmy Carter even had to sell his one peanut farm, holds on to his properties. And people in the government and in other governments are essentially giving him money. Yeah, look, so uh, Karen was discussed this earlier, whether, and whether there's actual enrichment or the perceived uh, enrichment, it's, it's a problem either way, right? So um, it, it's something that I wish could be avoided again and talk about all the positive things, right, to, that, uh, that we should be talking about. You know, Melanie makes a good point about the, there's this long laundry list of things to do in the Congress, right, whether to, to get things actually accomplished, USMCA, lots of things that... The new trade deal. Yeah, the, the trade deal, right, that that moderate Democrats, Connor Lamb in Pennsylvania, and a slew of others, 30-plus others, were elected to get things done. Congressman Max Rose. We're going to go We're going to go to Washington. We're going to work with my counterparts across the aisle and accomplish things. And they got to go back and run, and they're going to run on nothing, zero. They have a very thin record to run on. They're, they're, they're at risk. No, no, the no, they're not being stopped. Right? They're, they're at risk to do that, right? So they're going to lose those seats. The House is going to flip. And we don't. the president's not running. We only have to get 270. We don't need—the president doesn't—it's it's been proven, obviously, because he's president— 
You don't need the popular vote here. This is, a, this is an electoral college play. He's going to win again. Everyone stick around. Why the United States launched a secret mission to remove a top spy from Russia, the exclusive you'll only see on CNN. That's next. The world lead now in a CNN exclusive. New details on a dramatic mission to remove a top Russian spy who was working for the United States over concerns about President Trump's handling of intelligence. CNN anchor and chief national security correspondent Jim Shudo broke this story for CNN. Jim, what are you learning? Well, Jake, uh, multiple Trump administration officials uh, tell me, and these are officials with direct knowledge, that in a previously undisclosed secret mission in 2017, the U.S. successfully extracted from Russia one of its highest level sources, covert sources, inside the Russian government. A person directly involved in these discussions said that the removal of the Russian was driven in part by concerns that President Trump and his administration repeatedly mishandled classified intelligence and that that could contribute to exposing the covert source as a spy. We should note the decision to carry out the extraction occurred soon after a May 2017 meeting in the Oval Office in which Trump discussed highly classified intelligence with Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov and then Russian ambassador to the U.S., Sergei Kislyak, that intelligence concerning ISIS in Syria had been provided by Israel. The disclosure to the Russians by the president, though not about the Russian spy specifically, prompted intelligence officials to renew discussions about the potential risk of exposure, according to the source directly involved in the matter. Uh, At the time, then-CIA Director Mike Pompeo told other senior Trump administration officials that too much information was coming out regarding this asset. And Jim, this wasn't the first time they were concerned about the asset being exposed. That's right. And this context is important. At the end of the Obama administration, so going back months before, U.S. intelligence officials had already expressed concerns about the safety of this spy and other Russian assets, given the length of their cooperation with the U.S. This according to a former senior intelligence official. Those concerns grew in early 2017 after the U.S. intelligence community released its public report on Russian meddling in the 2016 election, which, of course, said that Putin himself had ordered the operation. The intelligence community also shared a classified version of that report with the incoming Trump administration, uh, and that classified version included information about the sources and methods behind the assessment. Senior U.S. intelligence officials considered extracting at least one Russian asset at the time, but did not do so, according to the former senior intelligence official. The meeting with the Russians in the Oval Office raised new concerns in the intel community, which continued to grow. I should note this as well, Jake, because this was not done in isolation. Weeks after the decision to extract the covert source, the president met privately with Russian President Vladimir Putin at the G20 summit in Hamburg. Afterwards, I'm told, Intelligence officials again expressed concern that the president may have improperly discussed classified intelligence with Russia. This according to, according to an intelligence source with knowledge of the intel community's response to that Trump-Putin meeting. We should note, obviously, Putin, a former KGB official. Uh, what has been the response from the Trump administration to the story? Uh, of course, I've reached out to the White House, uh, the, the CIA and others. Uh, a U.S. official suggested that there was media speculation at the time about the covert operative, but this official could not point us to any reporting, public reporting about it. Asked for comment, Brittany Bramble, the CIA director for public affairs, told CNN, quote, CNN's narrative that the Central Intelligence Agency makes life or death decisions based on anything other than objective analysis and sound collection is simply false. 
Misguided speculation that the president's handling of our nation's most sensitive intelligence, which he has access to each and every day, drove an alleged exfiltration operation is inaccurate. A spokesperson for Secretary of State Mike Pompeo declined to comment. White House Press Secretary Stephanie Grisham said, quote, CNN's reporting is not only incorrect, it has the potential to put lives in danger. But Jake, I should know, this removal happened at a time of wide concern in the intelligence community about mishandling of intelligence by Trump and his administration. And those concerns were described to me by five sources who served in the Trump administration, the intelligence agencies, and Congress. I should also note this, Jake, that CNN is withholding several details about this spy to reduce the risk of the person's identification. Jake. All right, Jim Schuto, great reporting. Thanks so much. Joining me now to talk about this is retired FBI and CIA intelligence analyst Phil Mudd. He's written a new book. It's titled Black Site, the CIA in the post 9-11 world. Phil, what do you make of this news? What do you make of the extraction of this covert agent? This has got to be devastating for the for the intelligence community, not because of the political angle in President Trump, but the ability to get insights into a closed society like the Kremlin at a senior level is really tough. We're not talking about looking at, at, at Russian troops on the ground in Syria, intercepting communications. We're talking about somebody who might have enabled you to get inside the head of what Vladimir Putin was thinking. That is really difficult to get. There's not going to be a backup for an informant, a source like this. The intelligence loss is critical. So you're saying it's damaging to the U.S. intelligence yes. to lose this Putin insider as an intelligence asset. But how damaging? What is the U.S. not getting now and what are the ramifications? Pretty basic. You look at two pieces of intelligence, intent and capability. Capability, again, let's take the Syria example. Russian military goes on, to, on the ground in the vacuum of the Syrian civil war. You can look through satellite photography and see how they're moving there. You can maybe intercept communications as the, as the Russian Navy moves in to transport people down to Syria. All that's tactical information. Here's the question. What is Vladimir Putin thinking long term? Does he want to back Bashar al-Assad long term? How do you get inside not the question of capability or action, but intent moving forward? You need a human being, what we call human, human intelligence to get inside his head. And that's going to be gold. What do folks inside the intelligence community say to you about President Trump? Well, a couple of things here. First, I question whether this angle of the story about whether the president's engagement with intelligence was actually a spur in the extraction of the informant. I suspect there are other issues here. What they do say is suspicion about how the president looks at intelligence generally, North Korea, Syria, etc. He's suspicious. Phil mm. Mudd, thanks so much. Hurricane yep. Dorian ripped apart their lives. And just when they were about to escape and get off the islands, they were kicked off a ferry that was going to bring them to Florida, the heartbreaking confusion in the Bahamas. That story next. The world lead as hundreds of hurricane survivors try to escape the horror in the Bahamas in the wake of Hurricane Dorian. A ferry boat company is coming under fire for adding to their misery. Some 130 passengers got off the boat, confused over what documents they needed. As CNN's Rosa Flores reports, they're stranded in the Bahamas and trying to figure out what's next. Reeling from the pain and trauma of having just survived the most devastating hurricane the Bahamas has ever seen, some Bahamians are now faced with drama and confusion as they try to evacuate. If you don't have U.S. visa, please proceed to this 
That announcement made on a ferry packed with evacuees Sunday night moments before it headed from Freeport to Fort Lauderdale. 130 people had to come off the ship tonight. CNN affiliate WSVN reporter Brian Enton was on board and says some of the evacuees who disembarked had to do so with their children. At the last minute like this, you know, it's kind of disappointing. Um, because I'm watching my daughters cry. U.S. Customs and Border Protection officials say while a visa is required to enter the U.S. by boat, discretion can be applied in a humanitarian crisis such as Dorian. That discretion was applied Saturday when about 1,500 evacuees arrived in a humanitarian cruise ship in Palm Beach. But Customs and Border Protection today telling CNN last night's order to disembark was made by the ferry and not by CBP. Why they said that, I wouldn't know. And, it, and it's really heartbreaking for them to say that to these people that have really suffered more than, than beyond, beyond comprehension. So there's just some confusion there. We will accept anyone on humanitarian reasons that needs to come here. We're going to process them expeditedly. CNN has reached out to the ferry operator multiple times, but has not been able to get in touch with them. Who can and can't get out is haunting evacuees who have made it to Florida, like Natasha Harvey. Her 19-year-old daughter and disabled sister are still in the Bahamas. Well, some people came on a boat last night and they said, they said, man, the people fighting to get out. Only so much spoken on them. We need help. We need all the help. Please, please, somebody help us. President Trump weighing in on the matter from the White House, saying that only people with proper documentation should be allowed into the U.S. and suggesting that this could be used by dangerous people like gang members and drug dealers to sneak into the U.S. And, Jake, I should let you know that by talking to uh, CBP officials on site, they have not expressed that concern to us. Jake. Rosa Flores, thank you so much. It was hotter in Alaska on July 4th than it was in Key West, Florida. Look at how the climate crisis... There is a problem for every waterfront city in the lower 48. Bahamians are just beginning to get a full sense of the devastation wrought by Hurricane Dorian, the strongest hurricane to ever hit the Bahamas, as far as we know. Scientists say climate change may be a factor in extreme weather patterns that have become the norm, including the intensity of storms such as Dorian. It's not just in the hot parts of the world, such as the Caribbean. As part of our Earth Matters series, CNN's Bill Weir looks at the unprecedented changes taking place in the coldest part of the United States, Alaska. Take a trip across Alaska this summer, from the iceless north to the smoky south, and you'll see that when it comes to alarming changes, the last frontier feels like the first in line. This is insane. Fire season used to end on August 1st, like rainy clockwork. But it is so hot and dry, the Swan Lake Fire has been burning for two months. And the most populous part of the state is swallowing more smoke than ever. If you look at the actual observations, we've had more than twice as many smoky hours in 2019 than any other season. And in fact, almost as many as all other years combined. And when Anchorage is hotter than Key West on the 4th of July, it can turn the steady drip of a glacier into something much more dramatic. That was a calving event last month at the Spencer Glacier, just one of dozens of melting red flags. This, this whole lake was, there was no lake in the early 1950s. Really? 
Right. The ice, so the ice went all the way down to the, to the end of the lake. End of the lake down there. Right. A recent study finds that since the 60s, melting Alaskan glaciers have contributed more to sea level rise than Greenland, Antarctica, or any other part of the world. Since every one of these molecules goes into the ocean, goes everywhere, this is not just a changing Alaskan landscape story. This is a Miami story. This is a Charleston and San Francisco Bay story. You know, once this water melts off and goes into the ocean, you know, as long as we have all this carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, it's not coming back here. Health scientists like Michael Hahn are equally worried about changes harder to see, like new kinds of ticks bringing new kinds of disease north. And when Dr. Jeffrey DeMaine studied insect bite trends since the 90s, he found that way up in the Arctic Circle, stings from yellow jacket wasps jumped over 600% in five years. So the queens are now under snowpack without a severe weather, then they're surviving. So more queens, the more colonies. The more colonies, the more yellow jackets. And then there are the fish, so vital to this economy. While Bristol Bay saw another epic salmon run, more and more streams are just too hot for the fish to spawn. And the temperatures we saw this summer were what we expected for 2069. Really? We're 50 years ahead of where we thought we would be for oh stream temperatures. Gosh. So that's very alarming. Meanwhile, out at sea, this research team from NOAA is spending a summer measuring all kinds of Arctic change, including those at the bottom of the food chain. And we are looking at harmful algae blooms, though. Okay. So they're taking samples for toxins in the oh, water for, the from harmful algae. Warmer, they're coming up farther north, right? And sooner, maybe, yeah. So that's a, that's a big concern for the communities, because that's food safety. This state is such a gorgeous reminder of how Earth's Goldilocks climate held so many forms of life together in harmony. But in a too hot future, with more fire than ice, what comes next is anyone's guess. Bill Weir, CNN, Anchorage. Our thanks to Bill Weir for that. You can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and or Twitter at Jake Tapper. You can tweet the show at the lead CNN. Our coverage on CNN continues right now. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.